Good morning. Um, today we're going to continue this series called Breathing Room. That hopefully in the midst of even that uh, one minute video, you caught the, the emotional stress and the emotional release of what this series is about. That we all find ourselves in places and in paces of life that don't breed peace. And yet, somehow, even in the moments and the paces of frantic and hectic, we still recognize and cry out for difference, a different pace, a different speed, because we recognize there has to be a better way, unless we wouldn't feel that there's a better way. Um, about six years ago, my wife and I, uh, we were doing some humanitarian kind of nonprofit work in um, Uganda. And we had been kind of living in a very remote village for about 10 days, and uh, around 10 p.m. every night, the electricity in the village would shut down because the dam that powered the electricity for the village would be turned off. And if you weren't asleep before then, you were over because it was just hot, and you had to get to sleep before the fan shut down. And you were kind of, we slept under mosquito nets, and before we left, the night before we left, we were like, uh, it was kind of scheduled for our group to, to take a safari. And, and kind of have this like little like rest and transition. And so we went into this kind of safari reserve and the night that kind of split the two days safari in this really nice resort that was vastly different than what I'd been living in for the last 10 days where we, you know, you couldn't use the water to brush your teeth because you could get a parasite. And so you had to use bottled water and boiled water and now we're in this place where they're serving food and you could eat raw vegetables because it might not have a parasite now and you're safe. And, and so we, we walk into our room and it's really nice. Even the mosquito net is nice. I mean, it's that fancy. And I, we're like, wow, this is so cool. And I go to peep out because I don't know about you, but the first thing that I do after I put my stuff down in a hotel room is I walk to the window to see my view because I, I love good views. And so I open up my window and there, in the midst of this dark sky, because there's, there's no light pollution, so it's just, you see the skies right at the equator, so you see the southern hemisphere of the sky, which has different stars than what we see in the northern hemisphere. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And I'm standing on our little deck, and I look down, and I realize that there's a pool um, and a hot tub, and it's all, like, sprawled out right in front of us. And it's dark, and my eyes are slowly adjusting, and I see this magnificent hippo statue along the, the water edge. And I'm like, Jenny, you have to come out here and see. This is incredible. The stars, the pool, the hippo statue. And she walks out, and she's like, the stars are beautiful. Wow, this is a large pool. And Chris, that's not a statue. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's a statue, sister. No, that's a hippopotamus. And there, like 15 feet away from me, is a hippopotamus drinking water out of the swimming pool. And then it starts to move and walk. And I was like, you're right, it's not a statue. She's like, yeah, it's not a statue. But see, for that period of time of about 20 seconds of me staring at that thing to say, I think it's a statue, my wife was seeing something completely different than I was. We were looking at the exact same thing, but she saw something different. She, she saw reality. And I, I don't know what I was seeing. I was seeing a broken way of seeing the world. And I was passing it through my filter in that lens because, of course, any hippopotamus beside a swimming pool has to be a statue. It can't be real. And, and I think for us in our discussion of finding breathing room and life that we have to start 
would realize then that perhaps there's some lens and filters in which we see time, in which we see pace that needs to change if we're going to see reality. That in our discussion over the last two weeks of pace and that we can arrive at peace in the midst of our pace, but we have to realize that it's not the speed of our pace, it's the sustainability of our pace. We talked about having emotional margin last week of being aware of what flows into your life has to exceed what flows out of your life. And that peace is found in, in, in dealing with the pace of life. But the challenge in just those two weeks is that you and I can center in on time management. We can focus in on how to get really good at emails and multitasking and getting really good with all the efficiencies of life. And maybe you're like me, you're an efficiency nut. Right? I, I love figuring out how to squeeze more time out of an hour. I'm the guy who's driving down the interstate. If I see an open spot in the lane beside me, I always shift because I can save 15 seconds by doing so. I'm the guy who, regardless if I, I traveled regularly or not, get TSA pre because I've done the math and realized that I can conserve 45 days over the course of my next 50 years just by doing TSA pre based on some solid math underneath it all. I'm driven by efficiency. But if that's all that's driving me, I can do the thing right, but completely be unaware of what is the right thing. And completely miss what's effective in life. And if we're going to talk about time management, if we're going to talk about finding peace in breathing room and creating and experiencing that peace in breathing room, I think it starts with us learning to see the world differently, to see the seasons of life and seize those seasons of life, not just become more efficient at life, but become more effective in life and seeing what's right in front of us. And over the next 20, 25 minutes, I want us to look at a very simple passage. In fact, it's just 14 words. It was a prayer written by one of Israel's greatest leaders and most famous leaders, of all time. Words that were written 3,000 years ago, but yet powerful words that still have impact today in 2016. A prayer that I believe if you and I are willing to lean into and press into our own life, that we can start to experience peace by realizing that there are seasons of life and we have to see them and seize them. If you have the Encounter Church app, I would encourage you if you go ahead and fire up and click on the one that says sermon notes, uh, it'll kind of go ahead and have that section for you. We're going to be in a Psalm uh, 90, 12 is Psalm 90 and verse 12. And just as you're flipping there, clicking there, or getting ready to watch it on the screen behind me, the, the book of Psalms was the, essentially the song book of the ancient Israel people. Um, if you were to take every song that we sang here at Encounter Church and kind of condensed it into uh, what some r- religious groups call a hymnal, essentially, that, that would be our songbook, and that's what the book of Psalms were. It was a collection of songs and poems and reflections and prayers written by certain um, Israel leaders. And God used that to kind of set the soundtrack for the, the ancient Israelite people. And Moses, who was one of the kind of more famous, one of the most effective leaders in the Israelites' history, is, is the author of Psalm 90. And and. While Psalm 90 has a ton of things in it that had we had time we would dig into, what I want to draw attention to and call attention to is this 
this prayer that he writes towards the end. You see, Moses was a very interesting guy. He had lived an incredibly long life and had experienced lots of seasons of life. In fact, it was estimated that Moses was probably around the age of 120 when he died. Um, and, and just in case maybe you're like, that's crazy. The Bible's just full of made-up stuff like that. How, no one lives to 120. I would just point you to this past week, even in the Washington Post, where a woman named Emma Morano uh, was celebrated because she now holds the mantle as the woman's, as the oldest living person on planet Earth. Because she was born November 29th. 1899. She's currently 116 years old. And like anyone who makes it that long, the natural inclination of news agencies are to approach them and say, what's your secret for living this long, right? I mean, they always, they always ask the really, really old people, how'd you make it this long? And they always have their like wisdom distilled down into like three sentences. And Emma had wisdom for us, and wisdom I would probably never take, because she says, I eat raw eggs every day, and that keeps me healthy. And I I don't want to be healthy if that's how you get there, right? (laughs) But we do that. We're drawn toward those people who've lived a long time, and we assume there must be wisdom there. And yet, Moses, towards the end of his life, 120 years old, writes this psalm with reflection of the seasons of life that have been vast, that he's gone from living in a palace as literally being part of the Egyptian royalty and one of the most powerful dynasties in human history, to living as a fugitive in the desert, watching over sheep and goat, to becoming a leader of a nation that he single-handedly helps to lead into their birth and start. He's a guy I'd want to know what's the secret. He's a guy I'd want to learn from. And Psalm 90 is that. He writes, Psalm 90, 12, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. That for Moses, the prayer for himself and for his people could be boiled down to 14 words. These 14 words are a passage that you, you hear me reference a lot because this is one of those things that I return to fairly regularly in my own personal life. That I'll pray this um, probably almost weekly if not daily this passage comes back into me because I want to I think a guy who lives an effective life who makes it that long that God makes sure that he records his words is probably worth listening to and and so in processing that what I believe you have in those 14 words is a picture and a pattern for us for how to live life effectively for how to experience peace in the breathing room of life the first is you see him say, teach us to number our days. He, he asked God to teach him, which I think is a very interesting point. Because what, what he's saying essentially is like, look, if you don't teach me, I won't know it. This isn't intuitive. This isn't obvious. You don't get taught things that are obvious because you see them. And here's Moses saying, God, teach me. You've got to teach me. Because if you don't, I won't see it. And you've got to teach my people, because if you don't, they won't see it. You've got to teach us to see and number our days. Well, what's fascinating is that we can hear that, and as, as kind of part of this modern civilization that we call America, our tendency is to reduce time to the way we see it. 
But the ancients actually had different ways of understanding time that I, I believe are actually really useful for us when we talk about experiencing a life that's effective and that's full of peace and breathing room. That the ancients actually described time in two different ways. The Greeks had two different words for it. One was the word chronos, which is where we get our word chronology. And it, and it essentially was kind of describing the movement of time. What happens on the clock with the tick in the top? It's the movement of time. And that tends to be how we operate. We see time as a schedule, as a calendar. But the ancients actually had another way of understanding time, and it's this specific way that I believe that Moses was asking God to, to continue to teach him how to see. And it was this idea of kairos. And kairos was not the movement of time, but it was about those specific moments in time, the opportunities, the seasons of life. And that's different than the movement. We all have the same movement of time. In the course of this service of about an hour, we'll all experience the same chronos. But because of the life stages and the ages and the different periods of life that we're all in, we're all simultaneously experiencing different kairos. Some of us are in seasons that look different than others. And, and so the ancients had that understanding, and I believe it's that that Moses was calling God to, to help him and his people recognize and seize in those moments. Because that's where effective living is found, is in seeing and seizing the seasons that you're in. And while that may be kind of a, a shift that many of us aren't familiar with because we don't think that way, I believe it's actually something that we do regularly. We just have never thought about time holding two different facts. In fact, in our household, I don't know about your household, board games get intense, right? Uh, my, my wife and I, we did... Um, student ministry for 10, um, well over 10 years. And uh, we absolutely loved just hanging out with college students and we, we would cook for them regularly and talk about life and talk about what they're going through and help them transition from kind of that living at home to that moment and that period where they're starting to wrestle through some of those bigger questions like who am I and what am I supposed to do with life and um, also, they're always hungry, so the food was always a help. And, and, and it always, always ended with us at the end um, playing cranium. I don't know if we have any cranium lovers in here. Probably not, but we absolutely loved cranium. And cranium is this very eclectic game that is one of this, you, you've got facts and Q&As and true and false, and then you've got uh, things that are like humdingers where you have to get someone to recognize you humming. And, and they have to guess the song, and you're always like, I know it. You're like, and your mind, you're like, it's so clear. Why don't you understand? And, but what happens during all of it, what guides the game, and your little figure trying to move around the board is this, hourglass. And the entire time, you're humming, sweet child of mine. You're watching this. Because you're like, Right? And you're humming it harder and louder and faster. And with each moment, you're watching the sand flow through the hourglass until it's completely gone. And you're like, why didn't you know that? And it was like almost weekly. We loved it. But the hourglass started off as an original device that helped you track the movement of time. And that for our culture, with clocks and smartwatches and atomic clocks, 
with GPS and all that goes with the scientific kind of revolution, what's happened is that the hourglass is no longer about the movement of time. It's about capturing those moments in time. That moment that you have to answer that question before it slips by you. And that's what Moses is praying for. God, help me to see my days. Help me to see the season and the limitations of time that I have. That for many of us, what kind of typically defines a season of life is found in two different things. It's your age and your stage. That if you were to take a step back and you say, God, teach me to number my days, then to see our seasons, it begins with us looking at our age. Because there are things about our age that define and kind of quantify our season. I just told you I turned 35 two days ago, and one of the things that I'm knowing, kind of learning about the mid-30s um, is that I used to play sports and work out and not pay for it two days later. But now, in my mid-30s, I do things and I'm still all in, but then the next day I move a little slower, or my back hurts, or that certain beds make me sleep uncomfortably now. I used to sleep on a rock, and now I'm like, nah, that mattress is too hard. We've got to switch rooms. Because this age, this season I'm in, has shifted the way I physically operate. I used to could eat food and not gain weight. Now I look at food and I gain weight. Right? And it's because I'm in this age, this season, where my body's going through transitions. And, and I have to be honest with myself and see that. And there's not just the age. There's also the stage. That some of us are in a stage of life where we're transitioning out of college into our young professional careers and we're single and the world's in front of us and there's so many things to decide and determine and figure out who we are in the process. Some of us are in stages where you've just gotten married and you're starting this journey and it used to be one and now it's two and you're trying to work it out together. And you're realizing that all those romantic love songs didn't talk about how she squeezed the toothpaste that way or how he didn't put the dishes in the dishwasher before he goes to bed. And you're having to work out those tensions in this stage. Or maybe you're, you're a new parent. And your previous stage, you slept. And now in this stage, you're a zombie. Right? And that you have to recognize that it's not just our age, it's the stages of life. Or maybe you transition and your kids are out of the house and you're experiencing this thing called the empty nest. And it's a different season. That most, most life seasons in these stages tend, are, tend to be marked by major life events. And it could be something, um, it's any kind of major life event that shifts the daily routine. From starting or graduating from school, from marriage or divorce, from life, new life at the birth of a child or death of a loved one, that those are markers that are indicators that you're moving into a different season. And that moving into a different season has different challenges. But when we're able to take a step back and see it, then we're in a better position to seize it. Right? Moses says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. That his prayer, God, teach me to notice the movement of that sand through the hourglass, is meant to accomplish something. It's meant to bring wisdom 
You see, biblical wisdom doesn't focus on the question, what time is it? Biblical wisdom bursts inside the heart the question, what is this time for? What am I supposed to be doing with this time and this season that I find myself in? In fact, the whole notion of the word kairos meant to seize it. That the Greeks, that that the word kairos was actually a Greek god who was completely bald all over except for one portion with this sweet, long, flowing mane of a front mullet that would just dangle. And the image was, is that this Greek god of opportunity would run up beside you and that his long, flowing mullet mane would just be dangling right there and that you had to seize it in that moment. If not, he would pass you by and there was nothing to grab because it was completely bald on the backside. That the word kairos really literally embedded inside of its very notion was the idea of seizing that season and grabbing that moment and recognizing that you have a responsibility now that you will not later. And so take advantage of it. For me, uh, about uh, the month before my daughter was born, um, I'd been in student ministry, and so we were um, taking some students over to help serve with a nonprofit and some churches in the London Olympics. And so I was there to do some kind of pre-work, and in the process of preparing for that, I got to sit down with a guy who has become a kind of a hero and someone I deeply respect. He, he was a pastor from England who um, was really influential, or not just in England, but throughout the United Kingdom and into Europe. He was real respected. In fact, CNN, um, a couple years ago, he was one of the CNN heroes. You know, those top ten people that they pick who are saying they're making a difference around the world. He was one of those. And um, he, had, he had two boys, two girls, and just remember in kind of our conversation being really impressed with who he was as a man and as a leader, but also as a father. And so we went to breakfast and I said, hey, I'm getting ready to have a daughter in about 30 days. Can you give me advice? He goes, I don't have a clue what to do. And I think it's important that I have a, some kind of handle on what's about to happen in my life. And, and I remember us sitting in this uh, restaurant in London and uh, him looking at me and said, oh, yes, oh, that's a great question. He's like, here's what I tell you to do. You grab a little hand and you dance with her. You dance with her all the time you can dance. I'm telling you, you close the curtains and you dance each day that she says, Daddy, I'd want to dance with you. It doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter how busy you are. Because one day, one day, lad, she's not going to want to dance with you. In fact, she's going to dance into someone else's arms. And she'll forever be gone from you. And so I'm telling you, dance while you can dance with your sweet little girl. And I don't know if it was his accent that sounded exactly like that. (laughs) Or if it was sleep deprivation from all the travel. But that hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it floored me. And fast forward a couple months and she doesn't want to go to sleep and I'm rocking her back and forth and back and forth and my arms are burning. And everything in me wants to scream, go to sleep, little girl. Right? Because the whole idea of singing lullabies angry just don't work. Right? 
And in those moments where my arms would start to burn, I would hear his voice and his advice and his wisdom. Saying, you're not going to rock your little girl forever. There'll be a day where you won't rock her anymore. So rock her. And I would rock her. And now, four years in, every once in a while it will catch me. Because I'm like, I don't get to rock her anymore. It's gone. That whole season is gone. And if I'm not careful, and if you're not careful, we can miss the season and miss the beauty that every season brings in life. Because see, with every single season, there are expectations, there are opportunities, and there are limitations. That every season brings those three things. With the birth of a child, all of a sudden, my expectations were already shifted where it used to be for the professional career that defined my life and my wife's life, now there was a person that was competing with our professional careers that required to be fed, that required a lot of attention. But see, here's the thing. When you realize it's a season, it takes the weight of realizing it's not a life sentence. Because in the midst of a season, you can become overwhelmed and you can start to treat a season like it's a life sentence. Can't you? All the frustration of that season feels like it'll never go away. All the burdens of that season, the exhaustion of that season feels like it will never, ever end. But when you recognize and see the season and seize it and say, you know what? There are only things that I will be able to do in this season and never again. And I want to experience that for all it's worth. I want to cling to that. Because I recognize this isn't a life season. It will transition probably long before I ever even realize it. But what happens is that many of us get stuck in our previous season. And we carry our expectations. We carry the burdens. We carry the struggles of that previous season into our new season. And it breeds resentment. And it breeds frustration. It, you're, you're a new mom. And you look at the lives of all the other people around you. And they're not exhausted they had time to put on makeup. They actually exercised. They seem to have their life together. They're not constantly caring for a child. Or maybe you find yourself in the midst of a divorce and you look around at all the other people, couples who are happy. And all that relational connection that they have and what, what you're doing is you're bringing all the expectations, all those opportunities, all the limitations from that season into your new one. And some of us live with guilt and weight and struggle because we're stuck in a previous season. But some of us live trapped that our families are neglected because we're still trying to live and experience life like we're still in college. That staying up late, playing video games, not being really concerned about how much money you spend might have been an okay thing in the season of college. But when you have people depending on you, it no longer works. And what happens in a relationship is that creates a tension because why I need you to stop playing. The, well, that's what I have been doing. This is something that is fun for me. And it's like, no, that's, that was reasonable in that season of life. Now you're in a new season and there are new expectations. That when we start to recognize that there are certain things about previous seasons that can cause us to get stuck. I mean, hello, if you've ever had a struggle with an in-law, what you're experiencing is a season of stuckness with them. 
You see, for, for a long time, they lived in a season where they had control over their child. They had input over their child's life. And now their child is in a new season. Not just college. But now they're in a season where they're married. And guess what? You don't have the control you used to have. And if you're living stuck in this season, then what will happen is you're going to frustrate them and yourself. Because they don't want your control. But you keep trying to bring those expectations from that previous season into the season they're in, and they don't need it. They're in a new season. Your job is not to control them. Your job is to be a support to them, to help them navigate this new season of life, not keep trying to drag them back into the old season. But when we recognize the season we're in and we're willing to seize the season we're presently in, it can start to make a significant difference for those new parents whose lives were defined by success of the professional career who are now starting to struggle with the weight and the exhaustion of the personal life of being a new parent. You can feel guilty like, I'm, I'm not as successful as I used to be. Man, I used to get so much more accomplished at work or I used to, I had a, a really bright career path laid out in front of me and now, now I feel guilty. Because the reason you feel guilty is because you're bringing the expectations when it was just you and your career, maybe your spouse. You're bringing those expectations into this season, and this season can't support those expectations. This season's expectations are, has your professional life in it, but it also has your, prefer, your personal life and your parenting life. And those expectations, those opportunities, and those limitations are different now. That even living on the other side of a death of a loved one, you experience. And if we try to live stuck in that previous season, it can trap us. Or dealing with this, the hard struggle of maybe a parent who is stuck in a season where they've spent so much of their life being able to take care of themselves, and now they depend on you to do it. And they're really frustrated all the time. And they resent the fact that you're helping them. And it's because they're still living stuck in this season. Where I could do everything myself. I didn't need anyone. Well, guess what? Now they're in a new season where their life depends on needing others. By seeing and seizing, we can start to get unstuck and start to live effective. Lives with breathing room that has peace. So I want to give you three questions kind of as we're wrapping up. Because I was trying to give you as many examples as I could to provide hooks for you to process through this season way of living. Because this is a critical, critical next step if we're going to experience peace and breathing room. So here are the three questions that will help you not only break out of stuck seasons, but I believe also really help seize the seasons that you're currently in. It's what expectations can you release? That evaluate the, the frustration, the guilt, the anger. Look into that. And say, is it possible that what I'm struggling with right now is because I'm breathing and bringing in a previous season's expectation? That I'm importing the expectation of when I was healthy and now I'm not. Or when I was single and now I'm not. And to recognize there may be things about that previous season that you need to let go of. Because you're living constantly under the weight of that. Or... The second one, what opportunities can you currently seize? 
like his advice to me with my little girl to dance with her. There are periods. Some of you, your kids are getting ready to leave your house and you're going to be an empty nester. What final moments of this season can you seize? What final moments of you getting ready, before you're getting ready to have another child, can you seize with, with just the one child you have? Like what is currently in front of you that you can make the most of? And the final is what can you look forward to? Because here's the thing, when we're in a season, we can start to feel overwhelmed by it. And it's helpful to say, you know what, this season is a season. It's not a life sentence. So what are there, what's coming that I can look forward to? Maybe you're an accountant, and the first quarter, right, is, is the season where so much of the revenue for your, your kind of yearly salary comes in. And so for you, when you're in that first quarter as a family, you, you look forward to those summer months where things quiet down. And you, like maybe with our family, we build around intentionally intense seasons of life. We build around many escapes at the end of those seasons. And those help us. Because we're able to say in the middle of those intense moments where we feel overwhelmed or um, I'm not as able to be present as much as I want to be present, that we, as a family, we rally and we say, you know what, but in two weeks or in one month, we get that little getaway at the cake and we get to breathe. And by being able to look forward to that next season or that next like little respite, what happens is you start to create some emotional breathing room in your life that allows you and your family to rally. That there's value in us seeing the season and seizing the season. And us stepping back and asking the questions about our expectations, our opportunities, and our limitations. But ultimately, that this idea of wisdom helps us because at the end of the day, it goes well beyond just our season of life. It speaks to the whole picture of life, doesn't it? Because in the end, this thing's ticking. And in the end, like every Thursday night, it would all go back in the box. Whatever happened was done. And there's a day where you and I, we go back in the box too. And this wisdom that Moses had of God, teach me to number my days, that I might gain a heart of wisdom, helps us to develop something that I believe is critical in life. It breeds perspective. It helps to foster priorities of what really matters in life. Is it matter, does it matter that I become the partner at work and lose my current partner? The priority of it all goes back in the box in light of the God and the creator of all things. Moses knew when you look at your life with the perspective that it all goes back in, it breeds right priorities. And that for some of us, we have perhaps in previous seasons of life, been in places and made mistakes that we wish we could get a redo, that we wish we could relive. And the beauty of what Jesus represents and who he was, was the beauty of a redo through grace. That his forgiveness over us extends into forgiving ourselves for past seasons and the regrets and the mistakes that we sometimes are still living stuck in. That there is a beauty in the perspective and realizing in the humility that grace brings to say, you know what? Maybe I can't redo what I've done, 
but it gives me the strength to do what I'm doing now better and to live in this season of life and every other season of life that God gives you in a way that when it all goes back in the box and you stand before him, you hear well done. And I recognize even in the midst of that that some of us maybe are in a journey and you're not sure about this whole God thing, you're not even sure about this whole grace thing and you're like, I, 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 that sounds really great but I'm not sure what to do, I'm not even sure how to get started, I have a ton of questions. I want to tell you that one of the reasons we've created Starting Point, which is this little station as you walk by, is so that we can help you get started in that first step or next step so we can create spaces that's safe to ask questions about life and faith and to struggle because we believe doubts can actually deepen your faith. We're not afraid of doubts because if we've put our whole life into this if of Jesus coming back from the dead, then we don't feel like we have to run from questions that we don't have to fear doubts, that they can actually become things that help to deepen us in our journey. So I would encourage you, if there's a first step or a next step that we can help you with, if maybe there's a place that you would want to serve here or even be involved with a community of people, to swing by starting point. That for many of us, though, our, our next step may be just in the, the moment that we're going to conclude our service with. This, this space that we carve out every single Sunday where we sing and we reflect. So at the bottom of that little note section in the app is a simple question, what's one thing I can do today? What's one thing that came out, even if I don't believe what I heard today, what's one thing about today that's helpful for me in my life? And it may be looking at those three questions. It may be you stepping back to, to say, okay, what season am I in? And just getting a handle on that simple question. Or it may be, you know what? I think I see my season. What does it look like to seize this season of life that I'm in?